Hi, I'm Mark Rotterman. Coming up, chaos at the southern border. Inflation skyrockets. And President Biden cracks down on ghost guns. Next. Major funding for Front Row was provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by. Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Body Knoll Foundation, NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation. Colin Campbell, editor of the North Carolina Tribune, broadcast journalist Jonah Kaplan, and Nelson Dollar, senior advisor to North Carolina Speaker House. Why don't we begin with the crisis at the southern border? Jonah, kick I, us off. I've mentioned here on the program about the constants in life, death, taxes, anti-Semitism. I think we can add one more, and that is America's broken immigration policy. And through the generations, there have been solutions that have been pitched but never adopted, and so we just have short-term band-aids. And one of those is Title 42. And when there's a rush of all these people at the southern border, those especially who are seeking asylum, the Trump administration, in order to crack down on those uh, potential rushes at the border, said, if you're going to seek asylum, you're not going to stay here in the country while you wait your court proceedings. You're going to remain in Mexico. And we're going to stop those asylum proceedings because already, by the way, the court system is desperately just overrun and it is understaffed. And because of COVID, the backlog is even worse. People just don't show up. The, well, and that's a concern. But the Biden administration under pressure from some of the immigration advocates saying, well, it's cruel to keep them in Mexico. Okay. They're living in tents. They're living in these immigration kind of detainment camps on the other side of the border saying, well, it's time to end it. And May 23rd is the day that Title 42 is supposed to end. So does this mean if you're apprehended at the border, you want to seek asylum, are you going to be held in the country? Where? The Trump administration kind of tried that, too, and that didn't go over so well when there okay. were all of a sudden assaults of cages at the border and things like that. But we've got a real issue here with people coming to the country, and what do you do with them? And especially because, again, that court backlog is so overrun, people are then not going to show up to their court proceedings, and then they're in the country doing anything, and they're undocumented. Nelson, are we losing operational control at the border? I mean, they're now saying that when Title 42 expires, 18,000 people a day will come into America. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, we set a record last year. We're looking to double the, the, the number of border encounters uh, this year. Biden and the progressives believe an open border uh, policy actually helps them politically. Now, you know, in addition to rescinding Title 42, the president's trying to end the Remain in Mexico policy that, uh, that Joan is talking about. The that, though, right? Well, the courts are holding back right now, the Fifth Circuit, but it's going to be uh, heard by the U.S. Supreme Court, so we'll see what they do. Uh, Biden's also in his budget, stops, is stopping construction on the border wall, cutting ICE and U.S. Border Patrol, and they're also trying to increase money uh, on that program to take immigrants from yeah. the border and spread them out all over the country, and that's one of the reasons why... In the most recent uh, Harvard-Harris poll, uh, Biden had just 32 percent approval for his immigration policy. Mitch, there's a lot of vulnerable Democrats, though, that are now pushing back and saying, hey, look, we got some tough races here. 
uh, let's keep Title 42. Yeah, you're certainly seeing more and more Democrats who are in these vulnerable races talking about reversing this proposed Biden administration policy. We see on the Senate side, there's legislation that would deal with this. Uh, a handful of Republicans, along with five Democrats who are really leading this, not only Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, who you might expect because they bucked the Democrats quite a bit on Democrat uh, uh, on policies, but also the other Arizona Senator, Mark Kelly, who's not seen as any sort of right winger, and a couple of others, John Ted who see that, you know, this is not necessarily where we want to go at this time. Congressman Cuellar, he's, he's on the border, right? He opposes that, too. He wants yeah. Title 42. Yeah, and certainly on the folks you're seeing in the House, many of them are people who are in these border communities who see what's happening and see what ha what is likely to happen if Title 42 goes away as planned. Colin, are we seeing some election year conversions? I think potentially, you know, that's uh, the more the polling looks bad for Democrats on this issue, the more you're going to see the vulnerable Democrats sort of buck the party on that. And that ultimately does make Biden look weak on this issue. Uh, and I don't think it helps his cause that they're extending the um, mandate for masks on planes. I've seen some Republicans point out to that because originally this immigration policy was a COVID thing. It was uh, a concern about, you know, the virus spreading across the border through these sort of, you know, tightly uh, closed in containment facilities. Um, and if you're you're going to keep one COVID policy in place, but relax the one that has immigration consequences. I mean, that's that's ultimately going to open them to criticism. Mixed messages. We got to move on. Bad news for the economy again this week, Nelson. Right. In March, we hit another 40-year high for inflation at 8.5 percent, and that's gas up 48 percent, milk up 13 percent, meat is up 14 percent, electricity up 11 percent, along with clothing, rent, cars, houses, mortgages. Everything is up. And producer prices also this uh, week were announced. They're up a record 11.2 percent. And Biden is trying to pass all this off as, you know, blame Putin, blame COVID, blame supply chains. All of those are contributing, but also the real core causes are a failure of the Federal Reserve to act last spring, and also the president's um, own excessive federal spending and a very much failed uh, energy policy. The gap right now, just to tell you the, the scope of the problem, the gap right now the core inflation rate, that's without food and energy, and the real interest rates are over 11, there's over an 11% gap there. The last time that gap was in that neighborhood, or actually a little bit higher, was in 1975, and it took eight years to correct that. So uh, that's the reason why you're seeing Biden right now really in sheer desperation. I mean, when you're talking about putting corn in okay. gas tanks with the potential for a global famine later this year, uh, that's just surreal. Mitch, is Biden's energy policy driving a lot of this inflation? Well, certainly the energy policy could play a role. Also, the idea of pumping trillions of dollars into the economy, which we've seen through the various COVID-related packages, other stimulus plans. He still wants to do the build back better in some form if he can, which would be more money into the economy. I mean, the, the key problem with inflation is always too much money chasing too few goods, and we're seeing the results of that. One of the things that's interesting to me about this is the levels of inflation we're seeing now we haven't seen since 1981. 
those who were around then remember what it took I to end that. And <laughs> you remember what it took to end that, and that was having the interest rates and, and going through a forced recession, which is the only way that you stamped out inflation. No one wants to see a major recession again, but when you have this type of inflation, that's going to be on the table. Jonah, low-income families are really taking it on the chin, aren't they? Inflation is a tax on right. lower-income families. I mean, they're the ones, and wages can't keep up. And I think, with respect to Nelson, who really laid that out methodically, explaining kind of the, the different statistics here, many Americans, they're not economists, and they're not mathematicians or statisticians, and all of these factors and all these different things, they don't really have the patience to listen to it because they've got to put bread and butter on the table. They, they got to provide for their families. And so while they're working in the fields and while they're working in the stores and they're doing things, they just want to know, well, what happens next? And yes, it's effective, obviously, in the polling to point fingers and to say this and that. And of course, when it's happening, politics is about perception. That's a big deal. But I think at some point, Americans are also going to lose patience if there's no solutions. And if they don't see prices coming down and they don't see things get back to somewhat normal, they're going to just find themselves either working even more jobs well, or relying more on the federal decisions. government. Colin, put this in context. Yeah, I mean, that's the challenge is, you know, are, are people going to be driving less? Are they going to be vacationing less? That Great points. That impacts the, the economy. Um, are they changing, you know, how much they're eating out? Um, and ultimately, the solutions here, like Mitch said, they're raising the interest rate, but that has its own consequences because housing prices are already through the roof and it's really hard for uh, home buyers to get in the market anyway, raise interest rates, and that makes things that much harder. Okay, I'm going to come right back to you. Talk to us about ghost guns. The president wants to regulate them. Yeah, so ghost guns are the sort of new front in the, the gun control battle. Uh, these are sort of homemade gun kits that you can buy or 3D print some parts uh, and sort of put it together yourself, but the challenge then, there's no serial number, there's no registration requirement. Uh, if these things get used in crimes. Police have no way to trace who owns it, who's responsible, who should they come after. Uh, and so Biden is uh, sort of using the tools that he has within the Department of Justice uh, to change the rules around this and sort of level the playing field between the types of traditional guns that you'd buy at a gun store uh, with these kits that you can buy on the internet and, and build your own guns with the idea that it's going to help uh, law enforcement uh, go after these. There was actually a, a case in the last week in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, where one of these ghost guns was recovered related to a, a crime there. Uh, so it's happening, but it's this is where the Biden administration is really trying to... Impact crime? Impact, well, tackle gun control and uh, impress their base that way, but without going through Congress, because the appetite for gun control legislation through Congress is just not there. Mitch, A.G. Stein's weighed in on this too, right? Attorney General Stein here. Yeah, he certainly has been in favor of this. He's been working on this issue for, for quite a while. And one of the, the problems that I see with, the, with approaching ghost gun, partly is the timing. I mean, Joe Biden is talking about this to distract. From is it largely the, symbolic, you think? In some ways, it's symbolic. Certainly in trying to fight crime, it is almost entirely symbolic. If you look at what the, the gun control groups themselves have said in their studies about this, they looked at over a decade of, of, of data on this, found about 114 federal cases, so about 11 per year dealing with ghost guns. And most of the crimes that were tied to this were people owning the ghost gun. They weren't using a ghost gun for something else, which if you're going to try to fight guns in crime, why don't you fight the guns that are used by criminals in crimes rather than just people who have these guns, and that's the crime itself. Nelson, crime is a huge issue in the big cities right now, isn't it? 
It's exploding. I mean, we were talking about well over a year ago, the explosion of the murder rate that's actually impacting cities in North Carolina as well. Murder rates are up. Violent crime in general is up. Um, we're not really addressing the causes of violence. So uh, Biden, I think, looking at the midterm elections, he thinks that, hey, look, this checks the box for major well, gun control. His base wants him to do something about guns, his, correct? His base wants him to do something about gun control. This is something where he can, like I say, he can check the box on that. And obviously swing voters, and not just swing voters, but most Americans, they want to see something to address uh, the urban crime wave that we are seeing in this country. And some of the police re reforms, like saying, okay, we're going to defund police, Biden's trying to push back on that. And then you also have the issue of, of cash bail that's going around the country, trying to end bail. That's putting people back on the street much sooner. And that is raising concerns as well. Put this in context, my friend. We're going to observe the 10-year anniversary of the Sandy Hook massacre this year. And schools have been back. There have been some shootings. There was also a mass shooting in Sacramento. You don't hear much about that. Gun control is kind of on the periphery, I think, of the American electorate right now. And for, is it being superseded by other issues? I, I think, and I think Americans are just being sanitized to it, and they recognize this is kind of the reality. So they're it's, used to seeing these images on the uh, screen of people getting shot in these mass shootings, you think? Oh, absolutely. That's why you don't even see much coverage. I mean, 10 years ago, Sandy Hook was everything. Sacramento, how many Americans even know that that happened, that shooting? And in New York City, what just happened on the subway? We don't even know what kind of gun was used there, and already they're kind of moving on from that. And so I think for President Biden, who has a history of, you know, being there in terms of uh, gun control and assault weapons ban, is this a way to kind of resurrect that? Is it a way to distract from other things? And with the 10-year anniversary of Sandy Hook, there's going to be people who are going to say, all right, it's been 10 years. What has been done to crack down on illegal weapons, on mass shootings? This could be something tangible that the administration is looking for. Colin, wrap this up in about 30 seconds, my friend. Yeah, I think the, the like Jonah said, it's a tangible issue. It uh, is something that can be done without Congress. Uh, but you're right. I mean, the, the reason that we're not getting through with getting toward a gun control in Congress, even with the Democratic majority, is that the appetite just really isn't there. And as we were talking about earlier, you've got these moderate Democrats who are in tough elections this year. They don't really want to touch this issue. Great rap. Let's go to the, oh, not that most underreported <laughs> story of the week. Let's talk about the key findings in the CBS YouGov poll, my friend. Yes, CBS Jumped News. Jumped the gun a little bit. Yeah, that, that's Underreported a, no longer. <laughs> under, yes, that will be reported now. The CBS News YouGov poll of the latest one has President Biden's approval rate at 42%, down a single percentage point from in March. Disapproval at 58%. Uh, we'll go back to YouGov, but just as a, a highlight, we also saw the Quinnipiac poll had him at 33%, so another low for President Biden. But back to CBS News YouGov. Uh, there's a, a lot of concern about inflation. We've already talked about inflation, but 69% are saying they have concerns about how uh, the president is dealing with uh, inflation. 63% don't like what he's doing on the economy. In, in terms of uh, whether he's doing all he can on gas prices, 61% of Democrats think he has. 93% of Republicans, no surprise, think he should be doing more. Uh, inflation 
has been proving to be more important in these ratings than the jobs picture. So you're seeing the Biden administration say an awful lot about, hey, we're generating these new jobs. This administration has created more new jobs than any other administration. There's been some clap back that, wait a minute, that's just jobs right. that have been restored since COVID. But no one's really paying attention to the job numbers because they're focusing on the inflation problem. Well, you know what I think this shows? I think it's these uh, the midterms are going to come down to kitchen table issues, don't you think, Colin? Yeah, I mean, all the polling I'm seeing seems to suggest that these economic issues are really going to be the driver. And when you see inflation at the level it's at right now, the odds that it comes down to a level where it's not the top issue by November just gets increasingly smaller, regardless of, you know, what gets done to try to get a handle on it or fix it. It just, it's hard to recover that quickly between now and November. Nelson, jump in here. Well, I mean, it's, it, Joan has mentioned it, Colin's mentioned it. Um, more jobs don't matter when real worker wages have dropped four and a half percent. People are not feeling it in their pocketbook. They're, they're worried about their bread, their milk, their bacon. That's what concerns them. And Biden right now is suffering from a fundamental lack of confidence by a majority of Americans. And it goes back to last summer with Afghanistan saying the pandemic was behind us when it wasn't and saying that, that no serious economist suggests there was unchecked inflation on the way. So really, whether you're Carter or Bush or Biden, when a president loses his credibility, there's almost no way back. There's really nothing he can say right now about the war. Well, do you border. think Quinnipiac poll is an outlier? I mean, 33 percent. I haven't I can't remember a president that low. Quinn even Trump. Quinnipiac has been polling lower than the other polls, but if you've been watching it, they're trending down as well. So it may not be at 33% approval, but the other the other polling is in that same neighborhood between around 33 and 40%, and it it bodes as potential potential disaster for the Democrats in the fall. Well, Johnny, do you think Democrats will campaign with Biden? Ask him to come in? He did win in 2020. So, I mean, there is that. He is still the sitting president. Now, does he have that kind of popularity? Does he have that kind of tenacity? Does he have that kind of appeal that he had in 2020? I don't know right now. Do you think so, Mitch? you think they'll come in with him? Want him to come in? I'm not sure that many people will want him to. Probably in, in blue states where they have a close race in a district, maybe. But uh, a lot of places, not only are you concerned about Biden being there with you, but what's he going to say? Is he going to be seen to be on what's his game? What's campaign on? I mean, I think he can try to argue that he was responsible for, you know, getting the COVID situation under control. I mean, obviously, Republicans will say a lot of that was in, in place, in motion before he took office. Uh, but he may try to make that his, his signature issue. Okay, and now we're going to the most underreported story of the week, Mitch. North Carolina gets a B in a new report card that was released about the state's responses to COVID-19. This was from the National Bureau of Economic Research. The three researchers who put this together, all right of center researchers. So you might be surprised that North Carolina gets a B. Nine states got A's, including Utah, Nebraska, and Vermont getting A-plus grades. Uh, the interesting thing beyond that headline grade of the B, North Carolina ranks 17th among the states on the economy, 34th in education, largely because of all the school closings, and 7th, a pretty good rate on uh, uh, ranking on mortality. One of the issues, though, that the researchers point out is that North Carolina has been behind the curve in reporting deaths. So as they catch up on those numbers, that ranking and maybe even the grade will go lower. Colin, underreported, my friend. 
Yeah, so this is definitely a debate season in the uh, Republican primary uh, process, and uh, we've gotten one debate just this past week on WRAL, two more debates coming up in the next couple weeks, and uh, Ted Budd, who's uh, by all accounts the front runner, is uh, so far not participating in any of them, which is sort of unusual. Uh, the front runner always wants to do fewer debates. They often, very rarely, want to do zero debates, uh, and so you see uh, Pat McCrory and Mark Walker uh, hitting him and criticizing him on that Will issue. Will he pay a political price for not showing? I don't think so. I think, you know... I mean, the only insiders watch this. Now, how many people actually watch debates? I moderated. I hope someone. <laughs> yeah. That's what I mean. But in terms of how many people see those, those TV ads that are running all over the place funded by Club for Growth versus the TV debates? I, I mean, mean, what would you rather have, Club for Growth or do the debate? Underreported, please. Well, and that's also going to be a precedent for maybe the presidential race, too. I mean, this is going to be interesting. Uh, underreported, look, we've talked about, obviously, the crisis in Ukraine and the war. What's being underreported right now is Iran is getting in involved. And there was a report out this week that Iran is now smuggling weapons to the Russians. So Iran is helping the Russians while America and Russia negotiate with Iran for a deal potentially to curb. What's wrong with the picture? Nothing. <laughs> this, I mean, yeah, why not? No, nothing about this looks eerie at all. Uh, but that's, I mean, look, there is a real, to borrow words from pre former President Bush, there is an axis of evil here. And you could see who's making friends and who's working together. And I mean, God forbid those weapons would eventually be used on American or allied targets. Well, you know, this is the first I've heard of it, and you brought it up off camera. I mean, why aren't the mainstream media reporting this? Candidly. I, I, I don't think it, it doesn't go for a narrative right now of, of multiculturalism, of this idea that uh, there could be these axis of evil. I mean, Russia, clearly, there's that narrative that I think everyone is kind of Focusing on, on. Focusing on. But to bring in Iran and then, you know, if Iran also supports proxies like Hamas and Hezbollah, and if they get involved in a war with Israel, then it gets muddy because you like to, uh, the media likes to portray Palestinians as underdogs, so they don't want to call out terrorism, they'll call them militants. I, I feel like there's okay. just a lot of politics there. Nelson, underreported. Underreported, and on that... The president, Biden has the deal on his desk. Right now, he's holding it. So it's going to be what interesting deal? to see what the what Iran deal? nuclear deal. Okay. He has it on his desk. Uh, Underreported fertilizer, uh, countries around the globe are facing soaring prices and critical shortages in three major fertilizers. That's nitrogen, phosphorus, and potash. The results of less fertilizer on the fields will be lower crop yields, which really means whole regions uh, of the world are going to face Perfect. food shortages and potential famine. Uh, Russia and Belarus are the top potash producers. They're offline. China placed an export ban last year on phosphates, okay. cutting world supply by 30 percent. And soaring cost of natural gas is taking nitrogen offline. Fertilizer costs are going to contribute to a global food crisis by the end of the year. Okay, let's go to the lightning round. Who's up and who's down this week, Mitch? Who's up? Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. A couple of recent polls, very good news for him. The Civitas poll looked at his favorability in, among Republican primary voters, and it was 54 to 6. You rarely see that. 54% favorability, 6% unfavorability. Uh, positive numbers from a WRAL Survey USA poll, and it also showed that uh, the news that he had paid for an abortion. And he's announced he's going to run for governor. Uh, back at, he had paid for an abortion back in 1989, didn't make much difference among those Republican right. supporters. My down, the Department of Public Safety, a new audit from State Auditor Beth Wood, criticized DPS for not doing enough to make sure that Hurricane Florence relief money was used properly. Colin. 
Uh, up, I've got, uh, speaking of people running for governor in 2024, or likely will, Attorney General Josh Stein, his people were down at the legislature this week uh, talking about the 700-plus million dollars coming to the state okay. in the form of opioid lawsuit settlements, and Republicans were actually praising uh, how his folks had, uh, had handled this issue and right. got North Carolina all this money. So, um, you know, you don't see that every day. Down, I've got uh, Bo Hines, who's the, the former football player who's running in the very crowded Republican primary in the 13th Congressional District. He's got Trump's endorsement, but he's also got uh, Johnston County. Republican groups running full-page newspaper ads against him, arguing that somebody who lives somewhere on that side of the state, not in downtown Winston-Salem, ought to be the Republican nominee. Do people really care what district you live in? I've run a lot of candidates in the past. It really didn't make a difference. Go ahead, my friend. Uh, Ted Budd is up. I think he's clearly emerged as a front-runner in the Senate race. And again, I think whether or not he participates in a debate, that's going to be looked at by other candidates in other races, even when we get to 2024. Down is Durham Mayor Elaine O'Neill. For months, she had been avoiding talking about the rising crime in Durham, the homicides. She finally did an interview this week and basically said, I'm not God. I can't do anything about this. I can't stop crime. She threw into town. Okay. Who's up and who's down? Uh, Elon Musk. Uh, he's toyed with Bitcoin. He's conquered space. Now he's taken on social media, buying a 9.2% stake in Twitter. Look for Musk to acquire controlling interest in Twitter later this year. He just announced this, this morning he's going to, he offered $43 billion. $43 billion and the fireworks will begin when he begins to play with Twitter. Okay. That's going to be exciting. Down quickly. Down, economic growth will be down this year. Expect a lot of political upheaval around the world, higher prices, food uh, uh, shortages Please. and food, fertilizer, fuel. I would say a 90% chance of global recession by the end of the year and probably a 50-50 chance of recession in the U.S. by the end of the year. Headline next week. Judge decides how much more money, if any, needs to be spent in the state on education. You had to bring up Leandra. Yep. Headline <laughs> next week. Uh, more out-of-state money coming into congressional and U.S. Senate races in the form of ads. Is there a point where people just turn it off? I think we might be there already. <laughs> <laughs> Headline next week. Yeah, Club for Growth makes even more of an impact in North Carolina. Yeah, I think so, too. You know, they've already spent, what, about 15, 20 million, Colin? Yeah, yeah. and then there's other groups with different names but similar donors. Headline next week. Henry Kissinger appointed Secretary of State because that's the only headline that would actually start solving some of our problems. <laughs> <laughs> Great job, gents. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by. Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Body Knoll Foundation, NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.